Romans 1. So if you open up to Romans, you should be right there. But I'm, I'm in Romans 3. Romans is right after Acts. It's after the four Gospels. But before 1 Corinthians. Mm. Here we go. Alright, so so last week we started the series, if you were not here, in Romans. We will be walking through the book of Romans, not all of it this semester, but uh, up until about chapter 5, and we're going to take a break. And I told everyone last week we're going to do a relationship series, talk about friendships, dating, things like that, um, in a series after this. And then we're going to pick Romans back up in the spring and go for a longer period of time. We probably will still not cover the whole book. You know what's crazy is um, there's a church in, I think they're in Minnesota, so y'all probably know the name John Piper. Um, he took the book of Romans with this church. He taught through the book of Romans for six and a half years. Never changed. Like, just to tell you how deep the book of Romans is. <laughs> um, also, how much you can just take from small sections. So if you can imagine the bond teaching from Romans on Sunday mornings for the next six years, that's what he did. Uh, so we're really flying through. Uh, but he did it for the reasons which we talked about last week, which is this book is foundational, really, for what we believe and why we believe it. Um, and we're going to talk more about that tonight, and every week is going to kind of build on the foundation. Last week we talked about just like a greeting. Remember I asked, like, how do you hope that someone believes something that you're saying and someone said, do the hokey pokey? We're not going to really pointing fingers and names. Um, oh, right here. Yeah. Um, but we talked about how, how do we hope to say something where people will believe what we're saying. And we looked at what Paul talked about here. And we looked at his greeting and the fact that he identified himself as apostle and as a servant. We talked about obedience to faith. We're going to continue some of those same themes today because you're in a letter. It's not like he stopped and waited a a month and started writing again. It was this is a continuous flow of letters, so the ideas will be meshing all together here. So we're going to start in uh, verses eight. And we're going to go through uh, verse seventeen tonight. Um, break it up just a little bit, but if y'all will read with me, starting in verse eight of chapter one. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So our, our main idea that we're going to talk about tonight is that last statement. That last statement really is the foundation of what I'm talking about in the book of Romans. And is the foundation, that the, really the last couple verses here, of our faith. It's a summary statement of what we believe, what we put faith in. And we're going to break that down a little bit. Um, so the righteous will live by faith. It's a packed statement, some words in there that you may not know. We're going we're gonna to try to identify some of those here in just a second. Before we get to that, though, I want to do some just context work and, and looking through some of the things before we're going to really sit in 13 through 17 for most of tonight. But there's some stuff in here that's just in the letter that I, I want to make sure we, we say and we um, mention before we get to verses 13 and 17. So the first thing that he mentions in here uh, that he mentioned last week is this. Uh, So he says, first, I thank Christ for all of you and for the faith that is proclaimed in all the world. And he says, for God is my witness who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Again, the word service comes up again. And I just want to continue to hit on this, that Paul really feels like all of my life. Is service to a God who has saved me. All of my life, everything I do is service to a God that has saved me. He believes this in his heart that he, he knows he can't repay God for what God has done for him. But more than anything, he says, I want to give my life in service to God that has saved me. So that's one of the things I just wanted to point out. The, the other one is the amount of thankfulness that he has here. I don't know if y'all feel this. Uh, for people in your life, or even write this, but Paul is writing this to people he's never actually met. He's just thankful for their faith. He's thankful that their faith is reaching across the world. You see the statement here, it says, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul came to know the faith of the Romans because it was proclaimed to him, not because he was there hearing it himself. He heard it secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. Their faith was being proclaimed. And he says here um, in verse 10, really 8 and 10, but 10, he says, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He's so thankful for them. And he's hoping that I get to just spend time with you. And I think this is a really cool thing. We, don't, we can't take everything in this passage and break it down, so I had to choose... That's why I'm just kind of mentioning this stuff. But this, this longing to see them. I don't know about some of y'all. Maybe you have this longing in your heart when you don't see those in your life who are friends of yours who are friends of faith. Maybe you have seasons in your life where you're not seeing the people around you who are aligned with your values, your beliefs, what you live for. And you start... You have this longing to be together. Because in being together, there's an acknowledgement of what we believe. What I hold in value. 
There's this longing that Paul's like, I want to be encouraged by the words that are coming out of your mouth and encourage you with the words that are coming out of my mouth. That we lift the name of Jesus high together and tell each other of what he's doing in our lives. We need that. He is desiring to go to the Roman church so that they can do that. He is a longing to see them. And then the last thing that I kind of already mentioned, but look at verse 12. He says, well, I'll read verse 11 first. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want, or sorry, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is what I'm talking about. Have you ever been mutually encouraged by someone's faith? You ever spend time with someone and you walk away and you're just like, man, I, I feel like refreshed. I feel encouraged. I feel, I feel like I want to pursue Jesus. I feel like I, my love for Jesus was grown just because we had a conversation together. My guess is that most of your interactions don't feel that way. But everyone in here who is a follower of Jesus desires that and can give that to each other. But we do that by encouraging each other to look to Jesus, by telling each other about how Jesus has saved us and how he is working in us um, and reminding each other about what he can do for us. So he wants to mutually encourage. And again, we're talking about Paul here, the like apostle of apostle is like, no, 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 it's not just me giving something to you. You have something to give me. And I'll say it this way, when I, I meet with a lot of y'all and have met, whether in groups or in one-on-one, when we meet together, it's not just me encouraging you. That's what Paul could say here. Like, every time I meet with you, I'm just trying to, it's, it's a one-way transaction. What he's saying, though, is that it's a mutual engagement of encouragement. So when I meet with you, you encourage me and I encourage you. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk of faith. What Jesus is doing in our life together encourages each other. He may be doing something in your life that's encouraging to me, and he may be doing something in my life that's encouraging to you, but we need to share that together. And that's what Paul is getting at here, that he wants to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So those are just a couple things in verses 8 through 12 that I wanted to hit on really quickly. But we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And really, like I said, the main idea for the whole book of Romans is found right here. This is why he's writing the letter. There's this fancy word called um, a disclosure formula. This is kind of a cool thing. Some of you might not care about this, but I think it's really cool. Every single letter that's written in the Bible usually has something called a disclosure formula. That's a fancy word. I'll tell you what it means. It means somewhere in the letter he writes a statement or a, a couple sentences that tells you exactly the reason why they're writing the letter. He does that here in Romans. You can read any of the other letters and find the same thing. Usually, as you're going to see here, um, it's a section that starts with something like, uh, I am under obligation or I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Which he does here. I want you to know, brothers, he says here. So he's trying to tell us, this is why I'm writing to you. So that's why tonight is super important. Everything else in this letter leading up to the end is coming back to this tonight. 
This is why he's writing the Roman church. So he says this, verse 13. I want you to know, brothers, that it is often intended to come to you, that I often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish. Why? So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He was so eager that he's like, I don't want to wait any longer. I just want to write it out for you. I'm going to write out the gospel in its depth and breadth here in this letter. And I'm going to send it to you because I don't know if I'm going to get to see you. But I want to tell you the gospel. And he does that here in this letter. And he says this about that gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Some of my 116 people out there know this verse. Uh, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That simple. I want to say that again. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we want to see uh, just two points tonight. And before we do, there's two words that are going to be really important. We've already mentioned them. One of them last week, and I asked him, I'm going to ask again. I'm going to maybe shape the definition a little bit. But two of the words that are going to be important for tonight are what is righteousness and what is faith? So what do y'all think righteousness is? Do you know? God. Yes, God is righteous. Yes. What is right in God's eyes? Okay. Any other ideas? What is righteousness? Being righteous. Being righteous. Thank you. That was swallowed. Yes. The act of being made righteous. So like, like being made like God. Being made like God. So God is righteousness. Say yeah, that's what I just said. I, I'm, just, I'm just restating. You're right. Anything else? Any other ideas? Righteousness? Y'all are basically saying this. I'll just say it like this. Uh, Righteousness is this. Good or right standing. Good or right standing. Having no debts or liabilities owed. Without fault, blameless. It would be like someone standing in a courtroom thinking, there is nothing you can bring against me. There is no charge you can bring against me. I am righteous. And the reason why I talk about a courtroom is because we talk about judgment, right? That God is a judge who judges every act that we do. And when we talk about righteousness, that means we have right acts and we have wrong acts. And as we stand in the courtroom, do you stand in righteousness or do you stand in unrighteousness? Do you stand in good or bad, right or wrong? Liable or not. That's what the word righteousness means. So when we talk about righteousness being given, it means that righteousness or right standing has been given to you. As you stand in God's courtroom, you stand as someone that no charge can be brought against. That's a big statement. Because you've been made righteous. No charge. 
No, you're not, there's no debt owed anymore. Previous there was, there was a lot. But you can give righteousness. The other word that we will talk about more is faith. We've asked this before, but what is faith? What would you say if someone said, what is faith? Trust. Trust, okay. Any other ideas? What is faith? Believing in something you can't see. Believing in something you can't see, okay. Any other ideas? Yes. Being assured of something you're hoping for, so that's getting on the Hebrews definition. Yeah? Uh, believing in things you haven't seen yet. Believing in things you haven't seen yet. Yeah? Okay, good. So I have, again, this is a lot of the things y'all said. To know something and believe it to be true. And then putting full trust and hope in it. So for us, faith is, I think a great example is exactly, I, you've seen this before, but the chair. You can look at a chair and I say, I know that's a chair, right? I know that's a sturdy chair, okay? And I know that if I sit in that chair, it will hold me up. I haven't put faith in the chair yet. I've ascended to knowledge about the chair. I have understanding about the chair. But I have not put faith in that chair until when? Until I sit on it. Why? You have a what? Say again. Maybe you've seen the chair, but you haven't seen it used. Okay. Yeah. You haven't actually put your trust in it. Right. I know a lot about it. I've assessed it. I think it's true. I think it's a good chair. But do I trust it enough to sit in it that it's and that's a really small example, but I think it's a really applicable example for how we look at faith in Jesus. I see Jesus. I see what people say in the Bible, what people say around me. I've assessed it. I actually even think it's maybe true. But you haven't put faith in Jesus yet. You haven't said, I forgo all other options to say, I want to put my trust in Jesus alone for salvation. That's what the faith we're talking about is. It's sitting down and finally in the chair. And I, I'm going to guess that there's some people in this room that haven't sat in the chair yet. You've heard about Jesus. You know about him. You may even think it's true. But you haven't put your faith and trust actually in him alone for salvation. Part of what Paul's talking about here. The righteous shall live by faith. Nothing else. <clears throat> so there's two points for this. That we are given life through faith. So this first point is found in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not ashamed. Why would Paul even bring this up? Why would he just go right in and say, the gospel is the power of God? He starts by saying, hey, by the way, before I even go in to tell you what the gospel is, I want to tell you that I'm not ashamed by it. I wouldn't have said that. 
What I would have said is I am ashamed at many times in my life. What, what are those things in my heart that I'm ashamed of? Those moments where I kind of pull back, I don't step in to following Jesus where he's called me to. I don't step into a conversation that's uncomfortable because someone is now asking questions, challenging me on the fact that you believe that's true. You actually believe that he saves you. You actually believe in this whole spiritual thing. I'm ashamed sometimes in those moments when I step back. No, I don't want to enter in. And Paul's going, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is a big statement. But why is he saying this? Why is he not ashamed, but he's eager? You see in the verse before, he literally says, I am so eager to preach the gospel to you. Where does that eagerness come from? Do you have that? I don't a lot. I don't have the eagerness a lot to preach the gospel. I have an eagerness a lot to serve myself, to do the things that I want to do. Paul is like, I am so eager to tell you about the gospel. Josh, I want to tell you about the gospel. Daniel, I want to tell you about the gospel. He is eager to tell people. He's not going to let it go. He's coming back to it. He's not ashamed of it. So why not? I think it's the two reasons he mentions after. I think it's that it's the power of God unto salvation. I think what Paul has come to realize is that the gospel is the power of God. That the things that have happened in his life are only because God. They are only because God has saved him by his power. The gospel is the verbal power of God. It's the message that changes minds. Some of you in here know the power that I'm talking about. There was one day or a season when you were walking opposite, hostile, enemies of God, and all of a sudden now you care about reading your Bible and praying. What happened? The power of God in your life happened. You met God. And the gospel changed you. His power changed you. Think about this. If a person shares Jesus with someone and that person understands and then places faith in Jesus, that's power. These aren't just casual things. Like, oh yeah, someone at school just you know, accepted Jesus. That is a miracle of a moment. And it is only something that God and so for Paul, he knows that he stands as a person who only knows Jesus because the power of God worked in his heart. His story is because God was powerful enough to take him a sinner and make him righteous. This power lifts people up, it transforms them, it changes them. And then the second thing, why? What's the power for? It's for salvation to who? Everyone, not just some of you in this room, not just some of the people out there, everyone who what? What does it say? Everyone who believes. believes. Not everyone who gets good enough, shapes up your life, comes to church enough, reads your Bible enough, 
shares the gospel enough, gets popular enough. No. Everyone who believes. There is a sole requirement in this faith. It is belief in God. But the problem is, I think a lot of us deal with this, that we see the gospel as Jesus has forgiven us, and that's where we stop. Jesus has forgiven us. So it's almost like Jesus has forgiven us, we became a Christian, and from this moment on, I now have to keep up being a Christian. I have to be good enough. I have to do the right things. I have to be a good person. The gospel is only for that moment in my past. It's not for the present into the future. Our thing is that we just see Jesus, power of the gospel for that moment to save us and forgive us, which is true. And then for some reason we think we start to having to earn righteousness. But it's given to us the whole time. It's not just a past thing, it's a present and it's a future thing. We're not just forgiven, but we're given righteousness. Remember, it says the righteous will do what by faith? Not just be saved by faith. Well, what? Live by it. The righteous will live by faith. They will be saved by it, but they will also live by it. So how do we live out this new faith? Well, the righteousness of God has been revealed. What what does this mean? You could change this to read Jesus is revealed. Righteousness is revealed. We see this in verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. What is the righteousness of God? It's Jesus. Jesus has been revealed. How do you know righteousness? How do you become righteous? Jesus. He is where our faith is put The righteousness of God has come to the earth in the form of Jesus, God's Son. It has been revealed to us, and Jesus has been revealed to us. So what's righteousness again? What's this thing we get from Jesus? Do we remember? What do we get from Jesus? Salvation. Okay, salvation. But what is given to us so that we can have salvation? Grace. Okay, yeah, definitely grace. What do we talk about that courtroom scene? Yeah, righteousness, yeah. Yeah, okay. Righteousness, and what do we say righteousness is? Faith. What? Faith. Faith, yes, we talked about, yeah. Good and right standing. Good and right standing. You go from the person in that courtroom that is about to get a life sentence to someone who is about to walk out completely free. Because Jesus has said everything on his record I'm taking past, present, and future. All of his unrighteousness for my righteousness. That's what he does for us. Why do we need this righteousness? Because our human efforts will never be enough. They're never going to be enough for a holy God. The standard's perfection. So if you want to try for that, good luck. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to get depressed. And you're going to give up. 
for Paul, the gospel is not just a call to initial saving faith. It's a continual walk in that faith. I think of verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Or Galatians 5.6 that says, For Christ Jesus, count, uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Not the outward obedience, but faith working itself out in love. You see this next statement in this verse says this. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. From faith for faith. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Fung, fung faith, fung faith. From faith for faith. What does that mean? What do y'all think that means? Righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's a tough one. He thinks from faith for faith. I think what Paul is trying to get us to understand here is that if you have any thought that you have salvation through anything other than faith, you're wrong. The only way we have salvation entirely is by faith. Because the second we start saying, well, it's something else or not, it's a little bit of faith, a little bit of this, we start to take away the righteousness that we've been given. Because the righteousness that we have been given is given to us when we put faith in the righteous one who is Jesus. It's entirely by faith. Philippians 3.9 says this really well. And be, it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This righteousness is from faith and for faith. So again, the righteous will live by faith. How are you trying to gain righteousness in other ways? Some of you in here like spent your whole life in the church and probably have had seasons or currently in a season where you're like, I'm kind of tired of doing the rules thing. Because somewhere in your mind you're thinking the rules are what saved me. If I follow enough rules, if my parents think I'm good enough, if I go to enough church, if I, it'll be enough. It'll, it'll be what saves you. And all those things aren't bad, but again, they're not what saves you. And I was talking to someone recently, and I told them, because that's a lot of my story. One of the most miserable places to be as a Christian is to know enough about God to feel guilty and not enough to know grace. Some of you might find yourself there right now. All you know about are the rules. And all you know about is I have to follow these so that I am good. And you're tired. I've been running on that treadmill for a really long time. I'm tired. I want to give up. I want to do what seems fun. And these are not fun. Here's the issue. You're following rules. You're not following Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Are there commands that Jesus calls us to? Absolutely. But we follow those not to gain something, but because we have gained everything. 
So if you're tonight here exhausted and tired and beat up because you feel like you can't get it right enough, you keep messing up, you keep doing the thing that you wish you didn't do, and your thoughts start coming in your head like, ah, if people at church found out what I do, I would be mortified. With the thoughts that go through my head, that the conversations I've had at school today, I would be mortified. Why? Because you're trying to be good enough, and that's what matters to you, not following Jesus. Righteousness is by faith, not by being good enough, not by working hard enough. The last statement, the righteous shall live by faith. Did you hear that? The righteous shall live by faith. How is that even possible? Guys, girls, this is the greatest news you've ever heard. We can stand perfect in the presence of a holy God. We can be freed from our sin. We can know our eternity is with him and his kingdom. We can be free of trying to measure up and be good enough. Righteousness has been revealed and righteousness is what we live by in faith. Not working harder, not trying to be the best version of yourself, not wallowing in despair because you can't be, trying to overcome the sin in your heart yourself. I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Oh, I did it again. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it again. No, it's entirely by faith in Jesus who changes us and gives us righteousness by which we gain salvation. The sole requirement is faith. Faith in Jesus. We place faith in Jesus and in return we receive perfect standing. An eternity that's secure. Freedom from sin and bondage. And a freedom of not having to be who we put our pressure on ourselves to be and what the world around us puts pressure on ourselves to be. But to be exactly who God created us to be. How could we not be eager to share this good news with ourselves and with everyone around us? How are we stuck in being ashamed? You know, Paul said earlier, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Because this gospel has gotten really deep in his heart and he's like, "Mm, this is really good news to a heart that's tired, anxious, depressed. And needs someone to save it. This is really good news. You know, there's a, um, you might laugh about this, but there's a Peanuts short. You know, Peanuts, Snoopy? Any of y'all watch Snoopy? Um, There's a little scene where Linus is throwing a stick, and Snoopy's running off and getting in. He's bringing it back, and Linus is throwing it again, grabbing it, coming back. And all of a sudden, he throws a stick, and Snoopy pauses for a second. He looks around, and he's like, I don't think I want to keep chasing sticks. Because then at the end of my life, all people may know me for is, hey, that was a good guy. He chased sticks. And he walks off. And while it's really funny and goofy, I think it makes a really good point. And it's this. Are 
you chasing sticks? Or is your life about something that matters more than that? About the gospel? About this great work that God is doing, proclaiming the good news? Or are you just going to chase sticks for the rest of your life? You want to be remembered for more than that? So I'm going to end with this, these two questions. Do you have faith? And is that faith changing the way you live life? Do you have faith? And is that faith changing the way that you live life? And if not, for either of those questions, me, Tori, whether you came with a friend or you know someone here that you want to talk to, please ask someone. Talk to somebody. I don't, I don't know if I fully understand this. I don't know where I'm at. That's okay. This is a place we want to talk about those things. Please ask someone. All right. Let me pray for us.